0: Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hello, everybody. As Pastor Chris just shared, I'm Chris Jones. I am our church's outreach pastor. And to everybody watching online today, let me just say it. We say it all the time. We are so grateful you are part of the Coastal family. Be sure to engage with us in the chat throughout the service today. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Well, it's a holiday weekend and a special one at that, and let me just start our time together by simply thanking the men and, the wo- and women of our nation who have made the ultimate sacrifice for the lives we enjoy here in our United States. We remember their sacrifice, and we honor them as a nation and as a church on this Memorial Day weekend. So We are in this short series called The Trinity. And as Pastor Scott shared with us last week, although the term Trinity is not found in the scriptures, the doctrine of the Trinity is foundational to the Christian faith. Now you've already heard, or you remember in its most basic sense, that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, And as believers, there should be in us this inherent desire to want to know all there is to know about the Lord as he exists as one essence in three distinct persons. And as we grow in our faith, we should want to understand what he's like. We should hunger to know how he relates to us and ultimately as his children, how we should relate to him. But let's face it, when we talk about God in terms of the Trinity, it still generates a ton of questions, right? Like, how can God be one and three at the very same time? Is there somehow some sort of Trinity contradiction that the scholars have been debating over the years have somehow missed? We may even ask questions like, if Jesus is indeed God, then why do the Gospels record instances where he is actually praying to God? Well, Let me just go ahead and give it to you straight. Scholars have been discussing and debating the Trinity for centuries. In fact, the very early church fathers and leaders met at the Council of Nicaea, which is in modern-day Turkey, all the way back in 325 AD. And it's from this council of bishops representing the global church at the time came forth what is now known as the Nicene Creed. And this creed, by design, focused on and clarified some of the issues surrounding Christendom. In particular, the questions surrounding the idea of the Trinity. And it concluded with what we now know and have accepted globally as the church, as God the Father, his beloved Son, and the Holy Spirit, as three distinct persons in one. Now you might be thinking, goodness, that's a lot. Maybe others hearing the message today might be thinking, why am I up here telling you all this? Well, first, I'm, I'm hoping to provide you with maybe a little bit better understanding, but also this, as you see as your first fill-in-the-blank on your outline, and that is, it's impossible for us to understand everything about the character of God. As followers of Christ, we could spend our entire lifetimes, you and I, studying the Scriptures listening to hundreds and hundreds of sermons, perhaps even reading thousands of books, and for some of us, earning diplomas and degrees, and still not fully understand the glorious character, the love, the holiness, and the wisdom of God. In fact, we're not even gonna come close to understanding the full glory of who he is. Listen to Romans chapter 11, verse 33. It says, "'Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge.'" How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Fully understanding God's character or his person in terms of the Trinity is impossible. The reality is no level of thought or imagination can fully comprehend the depths of God. Not my mind, nor your mind, nor even the minds of those early church fathers could fully grasp The full reality of an all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present triune God. Again, he is too great for human comprehension. Now, whereas it is true that our glorious God, one essence in three persons, is indeed too great for our minds to fathom, we don't get a pass. We don't get the right things off of our Lord and our pursuit of him because we don't and we won't fully understand him. In fact, the mysteries of the goodness of the Trinity should actually stir in us a desire to learn and to know as much as we can. And here's the thing, he does make himself known to us. He wants us to see and to experience and to learn from him. And although incredibly challenging to understand the idea of the Trinity, God indeed revealed himself to us in all three persons. Listen to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says here, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Proverbs chapter eight and verse 17 says, I love all who love me. Those who search will surely find me. Again, the Lord, although too great for human comprehension, does make himself known to us. And he wants the hearts of his children to pursue him, to long for him, to know of him as much as we can. And in fact, as a matter of opinion, and let me go ahead and say it before I share my opinion, that it really matters very little, but in thinking in terms of the Trinity, learning from him in these three distinct persons helps us in better understanding him. Allow me to walk this out a little bit further. Last week, if you remember, Pastor Scott shared with us Father God, and he presented to us how God the Father is sovereign over all of creation. How God's role in the Trinity is to be the perfect Father that never ever fails us. Scott's message last week reminded us that God always protects and always provides for his children, and how he created the world out of absolutely nothing, with no building blocks or foundation. And perhaps the strongest point that Scott made in his message described God the Father's role within the Trinity as the Father who absolutely loves us and adores us. Scott shared that there's absolutely nothing that you or I could do that could make him love us any less. And if you remember from last week, each person of the Trinity plays a part but works together to accomplish the mission of our holy God. And so this week, we're going to add another layer, so to speak, another layer to the cake, an effort to complement and then build upon what Pastor Scott shared with us last week. And let me just cut to the chase by saying this. This second person in the Trinity has a name, and his name is Jesus, and Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Matthew chapter 17, verses one through six says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it is wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you one for Moses and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And the disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. So here we have Jesus along with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they are in this secluded place high up on a mountain. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus' physical appearance changes, that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And then Elijah and and Moses appear suddenly and this conversation ensues with Jesus. And if all that were not miraculous enough, a bright cloud stands over them and an audible voice says, this is my Dearly loved son, who brings me great joy, listen to him. And it is here in this passage of scripture, we have God the Father referring to Jesus as his son, expressing love and approval of him. Now, Kosala, I want you to stay with me here this morning because we are going to bounce around quite a bit through the scriptures. But I want you to be rest assured that we will circle back around in a few moments and tie all this together. John chapter five, verses 16 through 20 says, so the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. And so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Verse 19 says, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. And whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. Now, putting this passage of scripture into context so we can understand, Jesus is at this pool of Bethsaida. And at the pool of Bethsaida, he has just healed a man who has been confined to a mat, sick for 38 years. And upon healing him, Jesus instructs the man to simply pick up his mat and walk. And now the religious leaders, having witnessed him picking up his mat and walking, now rebuke Jesus, accusing him, one, of healing this man on the Sabbath, and more severely, for blasphemy in asserting that he was the son of God. His response was simply this. My father's always working, so I'm always working. He says, the son does nothing by himself. And, the, and he goes on to say, the father loves the son, revealing, to him, revealing everything to him. Jesus then declares that if the religious leaders were frustrated with what they were seeing and hearing at this moment in time, then their, their feathers were really about to get ruffled Because healing a man ill for 38 years is absolutely miraculous in itself, but to Jesus, it was only the beginning of much greater things. And here is Jesus acknowledging his relationship to his father, and that he was going to be about his father's business, and that because of this love between Father God and his son, even greater things were coming. And according to Jesus himself, in the passage that we just read, the world was going to be absolutely astonished. So let's do a quick recap. Matthew 17, we have Father God speaking of his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. In John chapter five, we have Jesus the son acknowledging God the father, his dependence upon him with this relationship of love, encouragement, and support and this willingness to do whatever the father wills him to do. So let me take a quick pause here and look around the room. Have I still got everybody? Okay, good. So let's continue to build this message and walk it out. First John chapter five, verse seven says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. We readily acknowledge the Father as God himself in last week's message. The Holy Spirit, likewise self-explanatory. Pastor Chris will be back up next week. We'll talk about him next week. But I want you to notice on your outline in that the phrase in that last passage, The Word, capitalized. John chapter one, verses one through five says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. If you were to move down to verse 14, it says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Again, friends, the word capital lies there is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Again, remember in Matthew 17, we've got God the Father is acknowledging Jesus as his beloved son. In John chapter five, Jesus is acknowledging his dependence on and willingness to do the will of his father. Father and son, two distinct persons. But then in first John chapter five, as we just read, the Trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bearing witness that the three are indeed one. Again, one God, three distinct persons. With Jesus himself, God's beloved only son as the second person within the Trinity. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's all well and good. That's interesting information that I've shared, and I find it to be insightful, you might think. But more importantly, you might be wondering, okay, what does all this mean to me? In the most basic sense, you might understand the idea of the Trinity. You get the idea that God is loving and improving of Jesus you might even get Jesus loving God as his father and simply submitting to his will. And to a lesser degree, we might even understand Father God and Jesus while being two distinct persons are also one. But the larger question it looms in that is, what can I take from this message living here in 2023? And what can I take from this message aside from some very interesting information that can help me when I return to the grind of a work week next week? And what roles does the Son himself play in the Trinity and perhaps more important in your life? Let's look at that for a moment. The first one is this. Jesus is at the core of God's plan for your redemption. Jesus is at the core of God's plan for our redemption. It's easy to assume that Christ enters the story of redemption in the Gospels, that somehow the Son is not included in the Old Testament, that we start talking about Jesus and referring to Jesus, perhaps in the book of Matthew. However, the evidence is that the Son of God is saturated all over God's word. Colossians chapter one and verse 15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Again, the Son of God, His existence and presence spans the entire course of time. He was part of the plan of humanity's redemption all the way in the very beginning. In fact, we find God the Father weaving the Son into the plan, even in the moments after Adam and Eve fall in the Garden of Eden. Take a look at your outline. Genesis chapter three and verse 15 says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Again, in this particular passage of scripture, Adam and Eve have already fallen to temptation. They've already sinned and have since broken fellowship with God. It's at this point in their disobedience, having been told that if they eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would ultimately die. And God the Father could have said at this moment in time, in this moment of sin, that what I've made in Adam and Eve is simply no good. He could have said, I'm just going to scrap this whole idea of eternity as if it is not good. But despite the pain that was going to come, Despite the separation and the consequences of sin, God instituted a plan in the moment of original sin to restore humanity unto himself. At some point in time, through this woman's offspring, one was going to come. And as the scriptures teach us, he will strike the enemy's head. Make note there, in that passage of scripture in Genesis 3, Father God doesn't indicate himself would strike the enemy's head. He says, I will use the offspring of the one who sinned against me. The one that Satan enticed into being disobedient to me, the one you deceived and lured away from me, that will be the one who will bring about your ultimate defeat and your demise. Who is the one to come from the offspring of the woman? Well, the scriptures tell us. 1 John chapter three and verse eight, it says, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning, but the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Again, friends, Jesus is in the lineage of the offspring of the woman that the father was talking about in Genesis chapter three. You see, God has already pronounced judgment over the accused and his son's role is to carry that judgment out. You see, the son of God, as we just read in that passage of scripture, came to annihilate and to absolutely obliterate the works of Satan. The Son of God came to bring forth remedy and restoration and healing to all of mankind. So, when you find yourself, friends, in the days ahead, thinking to yourself that this world is simply spiraling, spiraling out of control. When you think things are at their absolute darkest point. When you think that that family member of yours can't sink any further away from God. I want you to remember That the Son of God is at the very core of God's plan for all of our redemption. And that plan has been at work and can be evidenced from one cover of God's word all the way to the other. And that work has been going on since the very beginning of time. And I need for you to know that Jesus, the Son, values you loves you and desires you to the point that one of his primary roles at work within the Trinity is your redemption. And he has been at work since the very fall of Adam and Eve to restore not only you, but all the people who have come before you, all those who exist on this planet with you, and even those who will come ultimately behind you. You are so valuable to Father God and to his son that the two have been working together for centuries and centuries to ensure that you and those you love have the ultimate victory over Satan, our mutual enemy, and that you and those you love can have a rightful place in this beautiful place called eternity, period. So again, Jesus is at the core of God's plan for our redemption, and then there's this. Jesus relates to us and does what humanity cannot do. Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 through 16 says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help when we need it most. Life can be tough, right? And it would seem, at least for my own life, that being a believer can be kind of tough too. And I'd even dare say that being a believer in Jesus can at times be harder than being a non-believer. Now, you might disagree with me, and that's a debate or discussion that we can have at a different time. Nonetheless, I think we can all agree on this, that the most wonderful thing about being a believer is Jesus himself. And I have no doubt that somebody needed to hear that today. You see, Jesus has been where you are And he has felt what you feel. And he has overcome the temptations that you are now trying to overcome. And because of his experiences, he understands the emotions, the frustrations, and the temptations you face in your life. Interestingly, there were a couple of Super Bowl ads that ran this past year. And they were regarded as the two most engaged ads of all the commercials aired during the game on Super Bowl Sunday. They expressed a call to have childlike faith and to love your neighbor. The ads came out about from a web-based organization called hegetsus.org. But you know what's very interesting about those ads that stood out to me? At the conclusion of those ads is a blacked out screen with a script that reads, Jesus loves the people we hate. And perhaps even more profound to me, Jesus gets us, all of us. What's the point? Well, it's simply this. There is no need for us to feel too ashamed to go to our Savior. If anyone can understand what you're going through right now, it's Jesus. Because he has been tempted in all points just like you. Yet he never succumbed to temptation, not even once. Now I want you to listen to me here, lean in if you will, stop writing and hear this. Because I believe the Son of God wants you to know that he understands your dilemma. And he has experienced your problem, whatever they might be. He is familiar with disappointment, and he is intimate with both pain and suffering. He knows the sting of loss, and he knows the temptation to simply want to get frustrated and quit. And Jesus sympathizes when you get upset. For us, it can be tough to relate to the suffering of others. Because so often, we are so immersed and so in over our own heads That it's impossible for us to fully relate to the suffering of the people that are around us. But Jesus, the Son of God, the second person person in the Trinity, gets us and he relates to us and does what we cannot do. Again, the Trinity is so challenging for us to understand. In fact, the vastness and the greatness, the holiness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, again, are too great for our minds to fully understand. God the father indeed loved his son and his son absolutely loved to do the will of his father. Two distinct persons orchestrating their distinct roles in this perfect melodious harmony as one. The son at the core of God's plan for all of our redemption and relating to us and doing what humanity cannot do for ourselves. And finally, Jesus' role is to serve and to give his life for us. Now, Jesus came to this earth not as a conquering military general or a ruling king. He didn't come with expectations of fine dining, red carpets, or regalia. Jesus simply came to work and he came to serve and ultimately to give his life for us. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 says, again, Jesus was a servant. He washed his disciples' feet, those dirty, smelly feet, knowing it would be those same feet that would scatter into the night upon his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. He cooked fish and baked bread and served Peter on the shore after Peter had denied him three times and had abandoned his original role as a disciple and had returned to his old trade of fishing. But more important than that, Jesus served his father by following God and by abiding in and simply doing his will. That leads to several questions for us. And that is, if Jesus was a servant, then shouldn't we be servants as well? More importantly, let me ask you, are you a servant? Do you sacrifice your life for the benefit of others? Are you giving your life away to others knowing full well you won't receive anything in return? Have you fully experienced this receiving of both blessing and life when you give your own life away? Well, in four days, our church is going to start Summer of Impact with over 45 opportunities for you to serve. 45 opportunities for you to find life by giving your life away. 45 opportunities for you to be like Jesus. There's a calendar in your worship guide right now and there's an information counter right outside the auditorium door. People all over our city who are hurting and need the love of Jesus. Again, Coastal, Jesus served and the call on our lives is to serve too. So I'll ask you, will you make the commitment today to be like Jesus and serve with us? Will you not leave Coastal today until you've made a commitment to sign up for one of the, or more of those Summer of Impact projects? Again, the son came to serve, but also he came to lay his life down for us. Let me share with you one final passage of scripture. John chapter 10, verse 15, it says, just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Again, Jesus sacrificed his life for ours. God gave up his beloved son for us and the Trinity, although very interesting to talk about, It's tough to understand. It's neat to hear about God simply being pleased with his son and the son simply doing the will of his father. It's encouraging to know that God has been at work with this plan of redemption all the way back since the very beginning of time. That Jesus sympathizes with all of humanity to know that he, the son of God himself, gets us. But you have to understand this. All is lost outside of the gift of eternal life. In Romans chapter three, the apostle Paul teaches, there are none who understand. There is none who seek after God. In John chapter 14, Jesus himself would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And then Romans chapter 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Perhaps you're hearing about Jesus for the very first time. Or the Lord has perhaps shown you something new about himself today. Or maybe you're in a place where you've simply drifted away. Know that Jesus, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, he loves you, he died for you, and wants a relationship with you. It doesn't matter what you've done or how long you've done it, nothing can make him love you any less and despite how you might find yourself living right now, that invitation remains. The gift for you in Jesus is eternal life. So simple, confess and believe. Life made brand new. Allow the second person in the Trinity to fulfill his role in you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace, Lord, thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to just learn a little bit more about you, Lord, through this Trinity, Lord, you, Father God, being one distinct essence, Lord, with three distinct persons, Father. Lord, it is difficult for us to understand, Lord, but we just thank you, Father, Lord, that through your word, Lord, we are able to dig and to dive and to scrape and to learn, Father, Lord, and to glean, Father, just how awesome and how wonderful you are. Father, we pray today, Lord, that you would help us to continue to grow in your likeness, continue to seek you as a church. And Father, we just humbly pray for those, those who may have had something new revealed to them today about you. Maybe they are coming to you for the very first time or they've even drifted away. We would just pray a prayer, something like this. Father, forgive me, for I am a sinner. Father, I have tried my own way and I have failed. I have drifted away from you. And I have found, Lord, that there is no life, Father, Lord, unlike the life that can be found in you. And so, Lord, I surrender my life to you, just trusting and believing, Lord, that you lived a sinless life and that you went to the cross, that you rose on the third day, Lord, that I, by believing and confessing, I can too have life. I too can have life in you. Father, bless the remainder time of our service as we give you praise and glory for it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.